Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. I'm going to preach something this morning uh, that's a little bit different and uh, then from our, our um, uh, study that we've been doing entitled Life. And if you've got notes there, you can jot the title down, and, um, and it's going to be an interesting title. You ready? The title is Killing the King. Killing the King. And uh, I was praying about what we should be uh, looking at this, uh, this morning. There's been times that I have not uh, preached, if you will, like a Palm Sunday service and have just preached uh, continually what God has had, had laid on my heart. Uh, but this morning, um, we're going to be preaching this. And before we get into that, I, I want to just kind of give everybody a little bit of a, an update and kind of uh, bring everybody up to speed. I want to uh, talk about it a little bit, and we'll move beyond it and, and move forward with what God has for us this morning, because I don't want to uh, take away from what God has already been doing in our, in our presence. And so... Uh, many of you know you got an email from me this week, and we had some unfortunate, very heartbreaking uh, things that went on uh, at our church and in our school. And um, we uh, had an experience with a gentleman that um, some of you were here Wednesday night. Uh, it's kind of started there, if you will, as far as the um, uh, the way that things were. They started to change uh, then, just a little uh, different behavior. Uh, came up on stage with me and uh, as I was leading music and uh, we I think we we pushed through that uh, pretty pretty well as a church uh, we finished singing the songs and we got through the message and and all that kind of stuff but um, uh, Thursday he came up and had some conversations with brother Jeffrey our student pastor and uh, some concerning things uh, arose from those those conversations and uh, I was out of town, and so I contacted our security team and said, uh, I would really feel comfortable if you guys were there for our Thursday night uh, outreach training. Um, and I would like for you all to have, uh, you know, your security apparel on. And, and I don't know, I, you know, I hope nothing, you know, goes on, but just in case. And uh, praise the Lord for God's men and women uh, because uh, the unfortunate events unraveled that uh, someone was ha- had to be taken into custody, and that gentleman uh, was the same gentleman that came up on stage Wednesday night. And, um, and so um, they uh, took him into custody and uh, is, is there still. And so um, uh, we can, we're available if uh, you were a part of that. As I said in my email, if you uh, had some encounter or had some experience with that, and uh, just a little unsure. I want to I share that with you because I want to be uh, open and make sure everybody knows what's going on. But I also want to tell you, man, the songs that were already picked out before the events on Wednesday and Thursday could have not been better ordained. I mean, we're talking about God is our salvation, that he's won the victory, he is the victory, that nothing the enemy tries to come at us with or use or anything like that can stop what God uh, has already accomplished through the death and the burial and the resurrection. Amen? Praise God. Amen. And if the Bible says of Lord's on our side, who, if, if God be for us, who can be against us? And, um, and so I just want to encourage you 
uh, to let's, let's move forward as a church in faith and not fear. Uh, there's, fear has no place in our lives because the, the, the reason why is we have God on our side. Uh, he, the, the Lord is strong and, and, and mighty. He is mighty in battle. There's nothing that the enemy can do to stop the Lord and, or his church. Uh, he may try different things, but, uh, and I'm not, please don't take this, that I'm saying uh, this gentleman was the enemy or anything like that. What I'm saying is Satan will use anything and anyone, he use any circumstance uh, to cause the people of God to say, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, I don't, to pull back some. And that's not what God wants. Uh, the trials, the Bible tells us, God allows in our lives to make us stronger, to trust him more. And so now is the opportunity for Trinity Baptist Temple to say, you know what, we're going to trust God more. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be more faithful, more engaged, more trusting of God than we were before. Because I believe, as we saw what happened this past week, it's exactly what can happen in all of our Christian lives. Is we can kind of just get comfortable and kind of get uh, where we're at in our life and, and, and everything, as long as everything's comfortable and good. And, and that's when the enemy does what he does. That's why Peter tells us to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so we as Christians, I'm not talking about when we gather as church, as a church. I'm not talking about uh, when, we, when we have worship services. I'm talking about in your individual life, in our individual lives, it's imperative upon us to press into the Lord, to move forward in faith, to be sober and vigilant because the enemy is not just looking to do something, uh, you know, in, 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 in times like happened this last week. He's looking to take out the plan of God. And he'll use your family, he'll use your job, he'll use uh, people around, he'll use anything he can to take you out and to take us out. But there's no reason to fear in that. That should not cause fear. That should cause us to draw nigh to God because the Bible says draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And so I just wanted to share that and be an encouragement to you and say, you know what? Let's move forward in faith. Let's see God bring something great from what Satan wanted to use for, for evil uh, in, in all of this. And so be encouraged, uh, press into the Lord. Let's, let's, let's be even more faithful, full of faith uh, than we were uh, a week ago. Amen? Amen. We come to this season of Easter, and um, each spring I think it's a great reminder of, of life. You know, we, we start seeing the green come back. You start thinking, man, I gotta start mowing the yard again. Flowers start blooming. I have a neighbor uh, that we, we, we love our neighbors dearly, and and um, they took a trip last week, and they were talking about how, uh, man, they just spent so much time looking at all the, the beauty of, uh, of God's creation, you know, and all the flowers. And uh, we were driving out uh, this weekend and, and driving down Jacksboro Highway. And, I mean, it's breathtaking. If you, if you haven't driven down Jacksboro Highway, I'm, I'm sure there's other places in, in, in the state. But, man, there are Indian paint horses and, and blue bonnets, and they're just everywhere, you know. And again, all of these, these, these reminders of life, it, it's a reminder that things that were dead are now coming to life again. Uh, it's a reminder that, uh, that death didn't have the final say in, in, our, in, our, um, uh, in our experience here in this world. And so, but this time of year, specifically at Easter time, we think back, as, as we already know, 2,000 years ago and remember the passion of Christ. And what the passion of Christ is, is, uh, if you will, the week leading up to his death his burial and his resurrection. And this passion is because the way that he entered into that week and how he dealt with the events of that week. He handled it uh, with passion and, and love for us. Again, this is a, a, a remembrance that we have as believers that's filled with a lot of ups and downs. Uh, we think back and we think about how he triumphantly enters into Jerusalem and, 
and how so many people are raving about him and then how this trial comes about. And we'll talk about all this this morning. But, uh, and then it ends with his death, but then it, it actually ends with his resurrection. You know, I mean, it's just uh, a week full of ups and downs. And so I want to look at this week from the triumphal entry of the king to the killing of the king and uh, see what God may have for us this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for life. And when I say that, I mean eternal life. God, we realize that without Christ in us, that we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have no life aside from you and what you've given to us. And so we're thankful for life. We're thankful for the reminders that life is only through you. Again, as we see in the seasons in this world, um, winter had come and, and everything fell dead and dormant. Uh, but now we're in spring and things are coming back alive. And uh, Lord, by your uh, ordaining of that, God, and we realize again that you are the author of life and we're thankful for it. We're thankful that this morning we get to remember uh, what life cost to you and how free it is for us. Uh, we're so thankful for that, God. We, we spent some time this morning worshiping you and lifting up our voices and praise to you. Uh, in the life that we have because of you, in, in our life in Christ. And uh, we've spent time praying, and uh, we're just so thankful. We're thankful that, uh, again, you've protected our church, uh, that you have raised up men and women, and, and God, we know that your hand is on this place, and we're thankful. Um, I pray that we would, as a church, move forward in faith from what we've experienced just in this past week. God, that not only that, we lift up the family of this man we lift him up, God, that your will is done in their life, that I know the, the scheming plans of, of Satan are, are so tricky and uh, how he would love to ruin and destroy their lives and, and uh, any opportunity that God was, was working in their life and uh, that you were working in their life. And, and so, God, I pray that you would uh, just move and that you would heal and that you would help and that you would minister, and that you would do the things that only you can do in their life as well. I pray that true healing would come uh, to, to Glenn. Lord, I, I don't understand, but I know you do. And so, um, Lord, we just pray for him as a church. We pray for that family as, as a church, that you would just show them your love, and that you would wrap them in your embrace. And um, God, uh, bring comfort to those here as well. Uh, Lord, we know that we have our comfort in you alone, and uh, that we would find it in you alone. And uh, Lord, we pray that you bless now in this message, and I pray that you're exalted now. In Jesus' name, amen. Israel's kings uh, go back to uh, Saul, the first king of Israel. Um, the people weren't satisfied with how things were going, and so they demanded a king from God. And so God granted their wish, and he gave them a king of their own choosing. And if you were here several years ago, we went through a series uh, called Returning to God. And we looked at uh, that divided kingdom and we led all the way up to captivity and God bringing his people back from captivity and how we could learn lessons from all that. But in that process, we saw uh, just how bad uh, the kings would become. Uh, that first king, Saul, was again a, a king of, of the people's choosing. He was tall, he was strong, he was a warrior. He was someone that the people had confidence in and so they could say you know what this is our king man look at him he's the tallest he's the strongest he's the best and so god god gave them their king i believe to teach them a lesson uh, because in a lesson they learned because saul would go on to turn his back on god not do what was right in god's sight and he would be removed as king only to be replaced by a king of god's choosing the king of god's choosing 
was a little unassuming uh, shepherd boy named David. Ruddy-faced, uh, just kind of, why would you choose him <laughs> over that guy? I mean, look at that guy. I mean, he is, he is huge, he's strong, he's a warrior. I mean, he's, he's mighty in battle, he's, he's all these things. Why would, you, why would you take him out of his kingship just because he kind of did some things that he wanted to do and not what you wanted him to do and put this little kid in there? You know, why, why would you put this unassuming little kid in there? I believe one of the reasons why is he would show that it's always been his way. That's the right way. He took the, the, the confidence away from, uh, out of uh, putting it in man and said, listen, you need to trust me. I will anoint this man and I, and I will use him. And it's upon his throne that I will establish a, his kingdom, my kingdom. And again, so Saul being the king God removes, David being the king that God installs for the purpose of Israel looking, and, looking to and trusting that God would establish that throne through David. And he did, because what he was talking about is bringing a deliverer, bring a king, bringing the king of kings, bringing the Messiah, the anointed one of God to reign, to sit and reign on the king of David, to be their king, to be their God once and for all. So what, what the mankind says, we really want this. God says, let me show you what, what happens when you get your way. And it goes bad with Saul. God says, I'm going to install somebody who I want, and I want you to trust me that it's going to be through him that you are going to um, be, be governed and ruled. And, and so he sets up this throne through David, who Christ would eventually sit through. Christ, anointed Messiah, anointed one, all the same word. And so he says, this is what I want you to trust in, my way, my king. Again, God was the king. Christ is the king. And so by the time that Jesus comes, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, by the time that he comes on the scene, the Bible says in the fullness of time, what the Jews had done is they had gone and made what they wanted once again. They, they, they accepted the kings that, that would, would come, but they had gone and made a system of religion. They had gone and made something that, that, that suited themselves, that, that was more pleasing to them than it was to God, and, and it fit them. So Jesus comes on the scene at that time when, the, when the, the Jews' system was completely removed from God's plan. So when he comes on this scene, he completely corrects their incorrect system. Now these are religious fanatics. These people are absolutely convinced that what they have created is the right way and the only way. So when Jesus begins to tell them, you're wrong, you are you're, you are making sure the outside looks really shiny and good. You're putting on a good show for everybody, but inside, you're dead. You're full of dead men's bones. You, you're like a whited sepulcher. You, you paint it and make it look all nice, but inside, nothing but death. It didn't sit too well with them. <laughs> they didn't like that. Listen, we are right. We've got, the, we, we've got our religion. We've got our system. It's the way it is. And again... And Jesus is trying to correct that system they had created began to be a problem for them. And the reason why it was a problem is because they were a bunch of self-righteous, pride-filled religionists. And so as you imagine, they wanted him gone. They wanted him out of, because he was not going to be their king. 
He, was, he would be much like uh, what people looked at David like. Remember, some of you know the, the Bible story that, that Jesse begins to bring his sons. He's like, hey, it's got to be this guy. It's got to be this one. And, 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 and the priest continues to pass over, continues to pass over until he's like, hey, you ain't got any more sons? Oh, yeah, I got a little one out in the field, you know. Yeah, let me see that, that one. So it was a very unassuming thing. So when Jesus comes on the scene to be that king, to be the king for Israel, to be the king of kings, he doesn't fit what they want. He doesn't fit their, their agenda. He doesn't fit their religious system. And so they say, he's not our king. He's a blasphemer. He's, a, he's, he's, a, he's in it for himself. And so that gives us our first point in our notes this morning that the religious sinners passionately killed the king for themselves. It was for themselves. They, they may have said that, hey, we're going to get rid of this guy because, uh, you know, we feel like it's the right thing to do for God, but it was for themselves because Jesus was correcting, as I said a while ago, their incorrect theology, their incorrect system all along the way. And, and instead of saying, you know what, you're right. Many of them said, you're wrong, because it doesn't fit into what we want. There were some of them, like Nicodemus, who would sneak away and say, you've got to tell me what's going on. And Jesus would tell him, you've got to be born again. There were others that would lend their tomb, that, 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 that would see and hear and, and realize he's speaking truth. There were others that were saying, listen, are you hearing what he's saying? You realize what, what the, the, the truth is, is if, if this is of God, we can't stop it. But if it's of, of man, it'll go away. The Romans carried out the execution on Jesus Christ, but the, the religious among the people had it done. Again, the prophets foretold the Messiah's coming. They didn't like the king or the kingdom, even though they knew he was supposed to come, because again, it didn't fit into what they had crafted for themselves. Look how he enters in. Look how, how this king comes into the city, how, how the people are assuming and expecting one thing. Look at it, Matthew chapter 21. And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem, he saw Jesus and his disciples. They were come to Bethphage and uh, unto the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and the colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man ask you what you're doing, then tell them, the Lord hath need of them. And straightway he'll send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah. And you can look that up in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Saying, tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting on an ass and a colt of, uh, of the foal of an ass. Uh, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put, their, put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude, a great multitude, not just a couple hundred people, a great multitude of people went before and followed and cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. He has come. Praise Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved. So it wasn't just a small little event that they had reserved at the, the Holiday Inn, you know. I mean, this was, this was a, a large parade. This was a big thing. The whole city of Jerusalem 
is stirred up and say, what is going on? Who is this? Because they realized the palm trees rec uh, uh, were, were recognized as uh, triumphant, as, as warriors and kings would, uh, would be welcomed into a city or even after a victory, be welcomed into a city. They realized, why are y'all laying this down? And they're saying, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the son of David. When they said that, when they were praising the son of David, remember what I talked about a while ago? David, the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, knew what they were saying. This is the promised king. The king has come. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one that God said he would send, that he would send and sit on the throne of David. This is him. And when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. Now, that week would be filled with a lot of events. From Jesus cleansing the temple again, from him giving parables, from him teaching about uh, the, the last days when his disciples asked, to this, this time where he would say, hey, we're going to go and we're going to have a supper because the time has come for me to lay down my life. So they would go and they'd have the Last Supper. We know what the events would follow, but Peter would summarize very just simply what happened. The righteous sinners passionately killed the king for themselves. In Acts chapter 3, he would say, why you marvel at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though uh, by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Now you understand, they had, they had, by the power of God, had seen someone healed. And he was there, and people could see, this guy is healed. He's not the way he was, the way he's been born. This is, this is different. And so part, uh, Peter says this, why are you marveling at this? Why are you looking at us as something weird has happened or that, that we in our own power have, have made this happen? And he says, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the Just One, and you desired a murderer to be granted to you. And killed the king of life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. See, it was the, it was the religious, it was the people who, who said, we don't want that kind of king. We don't want that, because what that king and the kingdom he's talking about means is that we have to stop living for our own selves. We've got to start doing something that's uncomfortable. We've got, to, we've got to get out of what benefits us, and we've got to lay down our lives for the king. I mean, shouldn't he come and, and do for us? Again, it didn't fit their system, and so Peter again says, look, you rejected the, the, the king, and you desired a murderer. You would rather have a murderer than the king to rule over your life than to submit to him and his kingdom. You would rather live in hostile, dangerous, sinful circumstances than to submit to him. Peter, today, could I think stand in this pulpit and say something very similar. 
Many people have a religion for themselves. And they cover it with the name Christian. And the reason I say it's a religion and it's not Christianity because Jesus doesn't fit into their system either. He does in name. He does because they say it. But he's not the Jesus of the Bible. And it's not the kingdom that he set up. See, he has a kingdom and he, he calls sinners to be a part of that. He calls sinners to forsake everything to follow him. And these who have their own religion today, and even though they may clothe that religion in, in the name Christianity, still would rather not be a part of that kingdom of God, even though it's the only way to life. So they build a kingdom for themselves. And on this kingdom that many people who attend churches, many people who say the name Christ, this kingdom that they built, they place the name Christ on it. And then they continue to live for the kingdom that they have built for themselves and not for the kingdom of God. Scripture says no matter how religious you are, no matter what name you slap on your religion, John chapter 3, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not on him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, that was the mistake that the religious of Jesus' day made, and that's the mistake that many today are making. They, they build a kingdom. They slap Christ's name on it. They continue to live, but they've never believed Jesus Christ for salvation. And I hope no one in here is like that, and, and in your mind you're saying, I have believed but I want to explain and, 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 and make sure that every single body, every single person in this place understands what that word believe means. In your notes, believeth here means to entrust. To entrust. So he says, if you have entrusted Jesus Christ with your life. So it's not a, I think he's a good, it's the best way. I hear all those things. It's an entrustment. What do you do when you entrust somebody with something? You hand it all over, right? It's, it, we, we have the trust game, right? I'm not going to ask any volunteers to come up here, but uh, you, you, you fall back, right? That's the trust game. You turn around backwards, the other person's behind you, and then you, what's it called, Nestle, Nestle, Nestle plunge? Nestle? Yeah, it is. What's the, somebody knows what I'm talking about. Nesty plunge. Thank you. So we're like, no, no, <laughs> that's not a thing. Yes, it is. You know, it was the thing. You know, they have the tea commercial and they fall back in the tea and Nesty plunge. Yeah. Anyways, that's what you do. That's the that's the trust game. You turn backwards. The person's behind you and you Nesty plunge. You fall back and they catch you. You are entrusting them with you yourself that they're going to catch you. That's an entrustment. I've shared this before. You came in there and you sat on those seats this morning, and I'm, I'm, I would 
bet 100% that nobody thought Nobody did anything like that. Everybody probably went in there and, you know, just, just flopped down or set your stuff down, sat right down, didn't think twice about sitting on the seat. You entrusted your entire weight to that seat. That's an entrustment. And so when we look at entrusting, believing Jesus Christ, it's saying this, I'm living for sin. I'm living for myself. I'm trusting the things of this world. I'm trusting my own wisdom. I'm trusting my own way. I'm trusting the world system and the world's way. I love it all. I love the things of this world. I love this world. I love myself. I love my sin. I love my life. It's my kingdom. But when you entrust Jesus Christ, you say, you are God. You are Savior. You are King of all. And what I'm doing is I'm leaving my kingdom behind a kingdom full of sin and self and selfishness and pride. I'm leaving it all because now I'm entrusting my entire life to you and your kingdom. And what you say and how you lead and what you want from me, I'm entrusting my whole life to you. It's not some, okay, come in my heart and save me. I believe that you're the king. Okay, wonderful. All right, so now i got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. Great, so... All right, let's go back to living the way that we want to live. We'll live for the world. We'll live for ourselves. We'll live for sin. We'll live for pride. And, and hey, we slap Christ on our, on our kingdom, and so we must be good. It's not it. The word entrustment is, the word believe is an entrustment. You are all in or you're not in at all. That's Jesus' words. You're all in or you're not in at all. It's not about religion, but about a relationship. And that relationship comes only by complete surrender to Christ. These religious zealots were more interested in their religion than they were with a relationship with the king. See, the king was right there before them. He was, he, he was there. God, the king of kings, was in their presence. And they didn't want anything to do with him because, again, they were more interested in this kingdom of self this kingdom of this world that they had built and they made it real nice and pretty and, and slapped the name God on their religion. And, and that was working for them. It benefited them. They could get all the stuff done in the world that they wanted to get done and still feel okay because, hey, we got God religion. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, you're dead. It's not about me. It's not about God at all. It's, it's about you. And again, today, so many people do the same exact thing. They build a kingdom. They build their lives. They get it set up the way they want it. And then they slap Christ on it. And they say, we should be good. And Jesus teaches that if you're not entrusting your whole life and you're not in his kingdom, that condemnation still abides in your life. Have you entrusted your life to Christ? I'm not saying if you said a prayer, I'm not saying are you trying to be religious, are you trying to show up for church, are you trying to do the spiritual things. I'm saying, have you entrusted your entire life to Jesus Christ? It's the only way to life. That's what he says. They thought they were getting their king. And again, and when he wasn't what they wanted, they killed him. Now, while this is true that religious sinners killed the king, point number two it's also true that the righteous Savior passionately gave his life. 
for us. See, while, while they had it done, he willingly came. And he willingly laid down his life. We just read John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave. It was something that God did. God willingly gave his son. It was something that Jesus willingly did. In John chapter 10, he would say this. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I and am known of mine. We know each other. I'm the shepherd, they're my sheep. And we have this relationship. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for this, the sheep. He says it. I do it. I'm laying down my life for the sheep. Look what he says. And other sheep I have. He wasn't just talking to the Jews. I have Gentile sheep as well. Other sheep I have, uh, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. They shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold, my people, and one shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay my, I lay down my life that I might take it, take it again. Jesus said, look, I'm doing this. I'm laying. And then he goes even further to, to reemphasize the point in verse 18. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, my own choosing. And then he explains, because here's the truth. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it again, take it up again. This commandment. Have I received my Father? First John 3, 16, hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we can know the love of God. We see the love of God. It's evident. How is the love of God evident? But with so much bad and so much evil and so many evil things happening in this world and so many bad things happening in this world and so many scary things happening in this world, how do we know that God really loves us? John says because he laid down his life for us. You can have no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus would say that greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's how we know God loves us. Even in the midst of a world ridden with people who, who build their own kingdoms and slap Christ on it, who, who are still living for themselves and living for sin and living for pride and, and bad things and sin, sinful things happen in this world all the time. How do we know that God really loves us? Because he laid down his life for us. And then he says... And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's how the kingdom works. That's kind of the, the rules of the kingdom. Love as you've been loved. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything you have. And then love one another as yourself. Yeah, but there's a whole lot of other laws and, and things that look just you take care of that and everything else takes care of itself. It's not that things aren't to be done, but you'll be driven. But the king enters triumphantly into Jerusalem. The week, again, as I said, well, it goes full of teachings, full of parables, full of uh, activities and, and things that go on. And then we come to the Last Supper. As I said, Jesus goes after the Last Supper out into the garden, and he prays. And while his disciples, they sleep, he continues to pray. And this is the moment that the traitor comes with the soldiers. And betrays the Son of Man with a kiss. The soldiers illegally arrest Jesus on false and empty charges. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, while he yet spake, Judas was one of the twelve, came with a great multitude of swords and staves, the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave him a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and he kissed him. 
See, the Bible says that the demons believe and they tremble. Jesus would say it, uh, give a teaching in Matthew chapter 7 and say there's going to be many people that say in, in that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name didn't we cast out uh, demons? And in your name do many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. You that work iniquity. There's a lot of people who are religious, a lot of people that go through religious motions, a lot of people that say, like Judas, the traitor, master, but he's not their master. Jesus wasn't Judas's master, wasn't his Lord. And Jesus said to him, friend, why are you come? And they came, and they laid hands on Jesus and took him. Behold, one of them which were Jesus, with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and smote off his ear. And Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the, with the sword. Thinkest thou uh, that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Do you not know that I could, I could get out of this situation at any moment with just one word? How then shall the scripture be fulfilled that it must, thus must, thus it must be? It's got to be like this. This is why I came. I've already told you this. In the same hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, are, are you come out? Talk to the, the, the people with the, the swords and staves and the, and the, and the, and the torches and, and, and to, to come watch this show of, uh, of catching and, 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 and the attempt to kill the king. And so he looks and he sees the, the multitudes, it says. Not one, multitudes. And he says, are you come out against me as a thief with swords and staves to take me? This is how you've come? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple. I was there. We weren't, we weren't armed. There was no swords. There were no knives. There were no torches. There was no lynch mob. There's nothing like that. And I was in the temple with you teaching and, laden, and, and you didn't touch me. But all this was done that the, the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. We know that they would eventually return and live for the king. Many of these disciples would lay down their lives as martyrs. But this is something that is true then and is still true today. Point three, and we'll close. The redeemed saints passionately live for the king. So that's the difference. The religious sinners are okay with killing the king. There are many today that attend churches that form their own religions that do that. That they wouldn't say it with their words, but they live it with their lives that they're okay with the king being killed. But the truth is, those who are redeemed, those who have been saved and forgiven, those whose lives have been changed and they've been born again, those who are the kings passionately live for the king. That's the way it is. The disciples, in the moment that they were scared, they fled. But when he rose again, they had victory. They knew he was true. They knew it was all true. They had confidence in the Savior, in the King. And they passionately lived for the King, even when it cost them their lives. And today, for over 2,000 years, men and women have been living for the King passionately. And there are still some of our brothers and sisters around the world who passionately live for the king, who still are laying down their lives for the king. Meanwhile, there are some who claim the name of Christ who would not even consider laying their lives down for the king because they're not living them for him. 
They're still living for themselves. To ask, the church ask, or someone ask, or they read a scripture, and they can dismiss it because they're not living for the king. That's what the religious sinners did. But the redeemed saints, they said, even if it costs us our life, and it did, we will live for the king. The only reason why redeemed sinners can, the only reason why you and I can live for the king or even die for the king is because of grace. It's because of grace. I didn't earn the right. You didn't earn the right. Nobody earned the right. Those disciples, we, we, we can look at them and say they obviously didn't earn the right because when he, he got captured, they all fled. They ran. They tucked tail and ran. They didn't hang around to, to be with their friend and, and, and help him and, and, and their king that they called him king. and so like They didn't hang around. They, they all fled. They left. Then he allowed them to come back and then gave them jobs in the kingdom to do. We can, say, we can look at them and say, oh, absolutely by grace for them. But it's still the same for us today. If we are saved and we are living for the king, it's only because of grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. You are a child of the king. You, you, you can live for the king only because of his grace, his unmerited favor. He says, you haven't done anything to earn it, but I'm going to extend it to you. Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer facing his judgment. We are redeemed. We've been justified. We've been, the, the wrath of God against sin in our accounts has been satisfied because of the death of Jesus Christ. That's amazing grace, and that's what Paul says through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What a beautiful scripture in John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, the redeemed saints of God are given, great, are given life because of the grace of God. And we can live for the king because of his grace. He's given us this life. Isaiah 62, 11. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. The love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It constrains us because we have concluded this, that one, Jesus Christ, died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and rose again. That's it. This is why we have life. This is why that, that when we are redeemed, when we're forgiven, when we're given this grace and, and we're saved, the whole purpose, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul would remind them that you need to glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are Christ. 
You're no longer yours if you're bought with a price. Those who are truly redeemed live for the king. This morning I want to ask you, do you live for the king? Are you living for the king? We saw in the scripture very clearly that there was a bunch of religious people that killed the king because he wasn't who they wanted. He didn't fit their religion. He didn't fit, even if, even if, because that's what the Jews did. They made a religion for themselves and they slapped God on it. Yeah, it's of God. And Jesus comes, the king comes, and he says, that's not my stuff. <laughs> that's yours. If you want what I offer, you got to entrust me. you got to come to my kingdom. And so they said, nope. But there were those who said, yes, we will. We'll entrust you. And he says, those who do that no longer live for themselves, but they live for him who died for them and rose again. See, life's too short. We obviously know and have seen even recently the spiritual battle is too real to play games. This is not a game. It's eternity. Eternity is at stake for many. And it never ends. Eternity never ends. It's final. Once you enter it, it's done. There's no more playing, there's no more playing religion and slapping Christ on it. There's no more saying one thing and, and living another. It's done. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the King of Kings, didn't fit into a system of religion. Didn't fit into the lives of those who called themselves the people of God. So they physically killed him. They mocked him. They beat him. They nailed him to a cross because he wasn't the king that they wanted. He's still the king. Today, do we mentally, emotionally, relationally kill the king by not allowing him to be who he rightfully is? King of kings and Lord of lords. See, next week we're going to look at the resurrection. Next week we're going to see what all this means. But we know the Bible records it. It attests to it. It's, it's, it's evidence. is clear. He rose from the dead. We're going to celebrate that and rejoice in that next week. The king is alive. But the question this morning, is he your king? I'm not saying, do you call him your king? That's not the question. Because Judas said, Master. Jesus said, there's going to be many that say, Lord. Not do you call him king. Is he your king? Is he your king? If so, then it should be evident in the life you live for the king. Those, the redeemed saints, passionately live for the king. What group are you a part of this morning? Religious sinners who would rather Christ not be their king? Or is that the group? I, I want him because I want the, the heaven experience. But I don't want him to change my life. I don't want him to alter the life I've created. Then he's not your king. Are you the redeemed saints who surrender their life and trust their lives to the king and live for him only because of his grace? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time, this message, the challenge it is to me, the challenge it is to us as a church. Lord, to realize that even as redeemed saints, 
that are supposed to be living for the king, we don't do that perfectly. And we don't do that all the time. And sometimes we even get in conditions where we, we slide away from that, that we backslide. If there's anyone like that this morning who is truly your child, but they're not living for you, they're not living for you, the king, they're not passionately living for you. Maybe they're just going through the motions. I pray that you would speak to them this morning and realize that it's, it's not a game. It's too important to let any more time go by. Lord, if, if there's someone here this morning that they are doing just exactly what the religionists of Christ they did. They, they've, they've created a religion, and they've even called it Christianity, but it's not Christianity. It's a life full of this world, full of themselves, full of their will and not your will. They slap the name Christ on it. And they tell themselves that it's okay. If there's somebody here that's like that, show them. That's not why you died. That's not why you gave your life. You gave your life so that we who are yours would live only for you. Not from the world that we were redeemed out of, not from the sin we were purchased from, not from uh, anything, not for anything else but for you. If there's somebody here that has never heard this, and they know they're not they're not yours. They know they've never surrendered. They never entrusted their life to you. Maybe there's somebody here that they've prayed a prayer once and they, they thought that that was enough, but they didn't entrust their life to you. If there's somebody like that, I pray that you move this morning and that they would come and, and not let pride, not let fear, not let anything keep them from making the most important decision to trust you. We're just moving on this invitation. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.